Hey guys, welcome to the What I Love About Men podcast. My name is Steph Ganowski, and as a men's coach, I'm on a mission to help men prioritize themselves, take ownership over their challenges, set boundaries in their relationships, and much more, all while adding a female touch and perspective. I hope this podcast helps you. We need you men, and as a woman, I'm rooting for you. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on the What I Love About Men podcast. I am so stoked to share this episode with you. There's so much value. Oh my God, I can't even, I don't even know where to start. I literally just listened to the entire episode again, which I hardly ever do, but it was so good and I just kept listening just because it was so good. Um, You guys are going to learn so much about um, why it is that most of you can't have full body orgasms, like what's preventing that. There's a lot of shame from childhood that actually creates physical pain in the pelvic region as adult men. Um, There are so many ways that this inner emotional sexual trauma or shame or, you know, emotional pain turns into physical pain and physical uh, limitations sexually as adults. So we're going to talk about how they're related and what you can do to add breath um, into your your sexual practice in controlling your cock, controlling your orgasms. It is so interesting. You're going to fucking love it. So I before I introduce Dr. Matt Zanis, I want you guys to rate this podcast and review, or especially if you love this episode, um, give this podcast a rating. Go to iTunes, and I want you to rate it. Like, tell me what you're loving about the show. Um, reach out to me on Instagram. You know, tell me if you have any ideas for episodes. I love to help you guys out and provide as much value as I can in this space for you men, especially when it comes to emotions, because that's an area most of you guys don't get so much attention. Emotion for men. How can we help men be comfortable with emotion and emotionally communicate confidently? That's why I'm here, guys, and that's what I want to help you with most. So go leave a podcast rating and review and let me know what's going on in your mind when it comes to listening to these episodes. I would so much appreciate it. All right, let's jump into this episode and I'm going to introduce to you Dr. Matt Zanis. Dr. Matthew Zanis is from Phoenix, Arizona and is a doctor of human movement and an expert in human performance. He is the founder of Rooted in Movement, a company that helps athletes, coaches, and other rehabilitation providers build confidence and trust in their bodies and practice through five pillars of movement, vitality, mindset, nutrition, and training. Dr. Zanis works with a broad demographic from Olympians to the highest branches of military, including Navy Special Warfare, and everyone in between. His vision is to create an awareness of new ways of working with the human body in rehabilitation, performance, and coaching circles, and bring that alive through a philosophy that is rooted in movement. Okay, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to have your brain on here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am pumped to be on here too, because I really enjoy doing podcasts and having conversations. And now I could finally talk about something other than the feet and movement. So this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More so movement of the mind, which is what we'll talk movement about. Movement of the mind, mo- mo- movement of other things too, maybe down below. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I did have actually a few sexual questions. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Things I don't know. I want to start with what you're, what you're most grateful for today? Ooh, I am actually really, really grateful for uh, silence, actually, because um, over the weekend I was in South Carolina and the moment that I landed, my phone died. 
So the battery just went from full charge to nothing, couldn't get it to activate the entire weekend. And it was a really great lesson in being silent, like not being able to jump on to the social media and everything else on there that causes all these distractions. And it really uh, helped me just tune inward more and appreciate the presence of just being with, I mean, five, 600 people that I was with the whole entire weekend for the strength conditioning conference. So it was really beautiful. Wow. That's awesome. That mm-hmm. would freak me out. <laughs> but at the same time, like... <laughs> I was, I was slightly concerned. Um, but you know, I bought my last phone in 2018. So I was due for an upgrade anyway. And it, it all worked out and I got the, the, the best and the brightest model. So we're good to go. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's like, uh, you know, I was telling you about my recent concussion episode. And Mm. when I I went to the ER to get a CT and they were like, all right, for the next 24 hours, I don't want you on any screens. Don't focus on anything. Don't think about anything. And I was like, what do I do? (laughs) What does one do? Um, And I tried sleeping and I'm like, all right, there's only, there's only so much I could sleep, you know? So I was just sitting there like staring at the wall like literally just staring at the wall for hours. And I was like, this is actually really nice. Like when was the last time I actually gave myself silence and space to do this? Never. I don't even remember. Never. And it's, it, that brings up like this really interesting, like beautiful gift of contrast, right? Cause you get so caught in the everyday of go, 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 go with the blinders are on you get your head down, you're working hard and you, that's all you you ever experience. Right. And then there's this other side of the spectrum um, that is just untouched most of the time. And it's, uh, it's interesting too, because I'm super grateful for sleep as well. <laughs> Cause uh, those, those three nights that I was there, I was like getting on four hours of sleep on, on average every night. Um, when you're a bunch of, with a bunch of other rowdy strength conditioning professionals and PTs and, and everything, you tend to, to party hard in the evening, which is like, not like me at all. So once again, another like beautiful contrast of being able to go in and out of um both of those different realms, which is which really nice because I'm very much like a, an introvert at heart, which is weird because I spend so much time on stages and speaking and being around people. Um, but I, I, I need to re, like recharge myself after those experiences as well, which I'm really enjoying now these next three days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not being around so many people. <laughs> yeah. Just talking to me. <laughs> Great way to just talking to you. That's all. That's easy. It's just one person. We're good. Yeah, I'm comfortable so like, with you. So <laughs> what did you say? I said I'm comfortable with you. Yeah, good, good. Nice and relaxing. Yeah. So like when it comes to you, you know, you started out as a physical therapist and now you're speaking on stages, you're involved in so many different areas of health. What made you make that transition from just going from, you know, PT to wait, I need to expand on this. Like people need to know all this other stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I think this all starts back to kind of how I was raised a little bit. Um, I'm very much a risk taker, which was the complete opposite of the way my mom tried to raise me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She tried to like instill this sense of safety and security inside of me and like always playing it safe, always playing it small. Don't don't put yourself out there too much. You might be too vulnerable and get hurt and people might find out something about you. You don't want them to find out. And like, I don't really agree with that at all. And I, I kind of intuitively knew that from an early age. And then when I was going through PT school and I, when I graduated, um, I started out working in just some like insurance-based clinics for a couple of years and found out really quickly that I couldn't be a part of that environment anymore because I was jumping from PT clinic to PT clinic because I, I wasn't satisfied. Like I was, I was bored. I was uh, frustrated 
that a lot of the, the patients that I and the clients that I was working with, they weren't really getting the value that I knew that I could provide. And um, there's there so much more that could be accomplished instead of just working with somebody for 15 minutes. And that's where I just threw up my hands and said, fuck it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this anymore. And that's where I just opened up my uh, own PT practice back in 2016 uh, through a table in the back of a CrossFit gym. And, and that's where it all began because I was able to now achieve something I didn't have for those first couple of years. And that was time. I now had all the time that I could utilize that I wanted it with my clients. And it was interesting how, you know, you make these decisions in life that then kind of shift the trajectory of where you're going to be going. And that gift of time in that moment allowed me to, yes, spend more time with my clients and with my, my patients, and my athletes. But then it also opened up the opportunity for me to network and expand and go meet other people and travel. And that's where it really started to explode for me because in that moment, um, I was able to then just go network with other PTs, other strength conditioning professionals, other people in different disciplines, other professions, other disciplines that I learned so much from that helped to round out my holistic practice um, that I have now and actually provided me the opportunity to work with the Olympics, which is what I'm doing a lot of with my time. And we're getting ready for Tokyo now here in July. And it was all because of having a mentor that I trusted and that he liked me, I guess, a little bit enough to give me the opportunity to talk to some of these people up in the, uh, the Olympic committee. And it's been a beautiful ride ever since then. Yeah, that is so awesome. What made you like want to oh. work with Olympic athletes? <laughs> well, I've always been involved in professional sports. Um, I, when I graduated at the University of Pittsburgh, I worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball organization and then went to Duke for my doctorate and then had my very first clinical rotation out here in Arizona uh, with the Cardinals. So it, it's always been like in my blood, um, which is really interesting. I bring up that in my blood piece. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like a, a dog chasing a squirrel with stories sometimes, so you can feel free to redirect <laughs> me uh, if you need to. But um, I, I grew up in a very predominant baseball family. Dad was a left-handed pitcher in college. Uh, uncle was a catcher. My brother was a right-handed pitcher. My grandfather was drafted by the Pirates back in the 60s. And so I thought I had baseball in my genes and my blood. The only problem was that I was fucking terrible at it. Really bad at it. Um, <laughs> I was really a much better football player, soccer player, wrestler than than baseball. But it was what my family did. So, you know, that all that um, uh, that conditioning of you got to impress dad and make him love you type of thing uh, was, was playing out for me in that moment. Realized that later on down the road, but uh, I had a really hard work ethic. So I just continued to practice more, train more, throw more, run more, bat more. I just kept getting hurt <laughs> really bad. Uh, like maybe bad. I mean, I had shoulder surgery and everything, but uh, very frequently. Right. And <laughs> ironically now uh, it was in that moment when I got into uh, high school, where I started finding weight training and I grew up in the time period where weight training was bad for baseball players. At least they thought so, which we know now it's like completely so false. So, so false. And I was like, mm, there's something about this. I just, I, I don't, I don't like that idea. So I went into the weight room myself and went rogue once again, took a risk and started training myself and realized, Oh, if I actually get stronger and I move better, all of these aches and pains and injuries are just trying starting to melt away. Um, it was a beautiful realization moment for me that, I found out then and there that I was a much better coach than an athlete and a much better provider than a player. I just, I fell in love with helping other people achieve their athletic endeavors along with like my own kind of personal goals. But I got so much fulfillment, so much joy, I filled my heart with so much happiness, seeing them succeed based on 
my guidance. And I always wanted to work with the best of the best <laughs> as well. And that might be a bias because they are very self-motivated, you know, um, <laughs> it's that frustration with working with some general population where it's like, we have to peel back the layers a little bit more, a little bit more uh, time consuming with that. Um, but it's just really fun to help those athletes who are so good at their craft, so good at what they're doing already and help them push it like a, a fractional percentage point, even higher. Cause it's, it's like a, it's like a giant puzzle for me. The human body is, you know, a, a, an amazing puzzle and every single human being, every athlete, every client that I work with is so unique that the puzzle is different every single time. And it's fun. It's like playtime for me. And it just, it fulfills my passion of really making a large impact on the world. And that's, you know, kind of getting back to the original question where that trajectory shifted for me was I wanted to have a larger impact. I wanted to be able to impact the lives of so many more people than what I could do in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, which was great. You know, being one-on-one -on -one with somebody is you can interact with them in a way that's very intimate and it, it's very fulfilling for them as well. And then helping them achieve their goals. I was like, how can I make this larger? And that's when I decided that I would rather get into a lot of the education and the teaching space and speaking. Cause it's, it's very, um, also very fulfilling for me. I derive a lot of energy from it and, it was in that moment that I decided I need to create a mentorship program. Uh, so I started then training other PTs and strength coaches and everybody underneath my wings so that we could start having this larger ripple effect, like the sphere of influence now where it's, I'm kind of at the center and I can influence other coaches and they can influence their populations and their communities. We can start to really, I'm really trying to shift the whole entire way that this education system is ran for rehabilitation providers and the information that's delivered to them because that's at, that's at the crux that's at the root of it right if you can inject yourself into the educational systems where all these well-intentioned pts are uh, first starting their journeys you can make a huge impact on them which is then going to have the largest trickle effect outward so to speak and get all those dominoes to fall yeah awesome and like tell me about like because you you said you were working with patients um for like 15 minutes at a time and then when you realize there is so much more work to be done than just those 15 minutes. Um, you said, you said now you work at like 90 minutes minimum when you're working one-on-one -on -one with someone, what was that change? Like, what did you, what did you feel had to be worked on with the body or with the mind? Like that took 90 minutes minimum. <laughs> 90 minutes to two hours now is typically the, the block that I make for a lot of these clients. Um, it's just because there, there's only so much that you can do with your hands. And that was the model that was, um, I, I guess, put in place with PTs was we're supposed to fix people, quote unquote, using air quotes here, um, which it really isn't the case, right? I, I really would much rather empower the individual, take responsibility and accountability for their own bodies, because at the end of the day, they're going to fix themselves. I'm merely that guide, like the, the Latin word for doctor means teacher, educator. And there's not many people, doctors out there that are really doing that. It's more of this codependent model of the patient needs you. And then you need the patient to feel good about your practice, which I think is horseshit. Like, and you know, from being a relationship coach, codependency is not a great place uh, to yeah. live inside of a, a romantic relationship either. And what I found is that there was this much larger need to develop a connection first to develop rapport and trust and confidence in each other in, in the relationship uh, rather than just, you know, you're coming in, you're getting your knee rubbed on or going and doing some exercises. Um, and I joke all the time. It's like, I could be the worst PT out there. 
but I do such a great job connecting with people that they trust me enough to do what I tell them to do. And I could write the, the best laid out program for them. I could do all the most beautiful hands-on work, make them feel better. But at the end of the day, if they don't trust me, they don't have confidence in me, they don't have confidence in themselves. They're not going to do what's necessary to help themselves get better. It's just going to be the end of the road. And they're going to be stuck in that vicious perpetual cycle of, of pain and trying to go and find somebody else who can uh, fulfill those needs temporarily. Um, and at the end of the day, like it takes a while to build that connection. And I, I spend like 45 minutes of these 90 minute sessions, just talking and learning and asking questions and listening and staying present. And I can't tell you how many times people have left an initial evaluation session being like, holy shit, somebody actually listened to me for the first time in like 20 years. They feel heard, they feel seen. Right. And that's the most, I think the most beautiful gift that we can give our clients and the, the, the people that I work with is this idea of having somebody who's willing to sit there and listen to you, to slow things down, to hold space, to be that kind of grounded rock and those roots that are deep and holding, um, holding to the earth to be able to take what they're saying and then utilize that to build a connection and use that as the foundation, the framework for that therapeutic relationship moving forward. Mm. So do you, do you find that like when you're asking people questions um, based on their injury that they have, like that leads to them having a better understanding of their body and like a better willingness to heal themselves? Like, is that what happens essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, I'm, I'm a big test retest guy and I'm all about um, validation as well. And in a good way, meaning that I want them to be able to experience movement and experience moving their body in a way that they can modulate their own pain experience. Right. Like I, I went to school to work with my hands so, so well, like I did a fellowship in manual therapy. And then you realize that it's only like 5% of my practice now because it's so temporary. Right. And yes, it, it's a part of the, a part of the experience where it could help somebody move better, but in reality, it's just opening up a window to help them move better. They still need to do it, right? So there's a lot of a uh, lot of videoing that takes place, a lot of questions and answers of like helping them build the sense of attunement and introspection. So being able to feel into their body, because you know, I think we live so much of our lives kind of in the exterior <laughs> that we don't ever feel what is actually happening inside of our body, and then also from the standpoint of the stories that we tell ourselves about when we experience something inside of our body, right? Because, you know, nine times out of 10, they're always negative in nature. We always think that there's something wrong. We're hurting ourselves. And at the end of the day, it's, it's really um, more detrimental to think about those negative things as far as exacerbating the pain response um, than it is about actually reconceptualizing and reframing what you're feeling. Because all these sensations that we feel inside of our body, they're just information. It's just information. Our brain's just trying to connect us somewhere that maybe needs a little bit of attention. And instead of going down the deep, dark rabbit hole, all this fear mongering, which usually happens with um, medical professionals who always want to like take images of what's going on inside the body and tell you there's something wrong with you. It's, it's really not the case. There's so much that's right with you. And that's what I try to focus on is from an empowerment standpoint, what, is, what are you doing well? And how could we take what you're feeling and give you some more context and education around it to help calm down that pain experience because it all comes down to safety and threat, right? So if our brain feels like it's safe and we have a greater understanding of what's going on inside our body, the threat level decreases. 
it lowers. And with that, the pain response lowers as well. The sensitivity to pain lowers. Interesting. Yeah. So what would you tell, what would you tell to someone, say someone's listening to this and they have like chronic pain or they have, you know, mm-hmm. pain that came out of nowhere and they just can't stop focusing on it because the pain keeps coming up. And then it becomes part of their natural way of thinking of like, oh, I, like I'm always, I have headaches every day constantly. Like it sucks. Like what is the change, they, the shift they need to change in terms of the way they speak to themselves in order to manage that pain better? Well, that's uh, that's a beautiful question. And it's very, very context dependent on the individual. I hate using that answer because I hated it when I was in PT school and like, well, it depends. I'm like, ah, but give me some more kind of guardrails here to where it depends and what, how far I can take this. Uh, I, I think, I think the first step though, comes to awareness, right? This, this sense of awareness around it. Um, Cause a lot of times we're, we're being given these opportunities, these little nudges so to speak of of ways to change your body our brain's telling us about it in a in a in a very efficient way uh we're just not aware enough to understand that's happening to us right because we are so you know nose down uh onto the onto the ground and, and pushing forward in this go 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 uh type of scenario but we're also very dependent on instant gratification as well and we want things to if we feel something we want it gone right away instead of learning to sit with that, like it's, it's uncomfortable, I get it. But when you sit with the discomfort, that's where a lot of the learning and the growth occurs. If you don't ever sit with it, you're never gonna really learn it to understand it. And that's, that's how, what, when it comes to pain, pain I, I described as like an old friend coming by to say hi and visit. We don't just wanna like shoo it away and push him outside the door, talk with it, have a conversation with me. What is it trying to tell you? Instead of trying to get rid of it so quickly, and we see that a lot with um, a lot of obviously you see drugs and surgeries and all that. It's like all these quick fix mentalities, and it's never getting to the to the root cause of what's actually going on to begin with. So, in a way, uh, to answer that question too, it's like, okay, are we first consciously aware of what's going on inside of our body, and how can we reframe what it means to us? Right? How can we re- reframe? How can we ask a different question? Because if you ask a different question, you'll get a different answer and likely a better answer as well. And that's where uh, like I come in as far as being a provider is that guide to help them ask different questions, right? To help break down that, um, I guess, the fear, the fear response around what's going on inside the body. Now, from a chronic pain example, you can you give a few examples of like the questions you ask around pain? Oh yeah, yeah. So from like a from like a chronic pain standpoint, um, like you could think about this in the in the form of headaches, low back pain. We see it a lot. Um, I work with a lot of men on uh, sexual performance and chronic pelvic pain syndromes as well, which is a whole other <laughs> deep rabbit hole that I'm sure you can get into and have like a three hour long conversation on. Uh, but as far as like different different questions that you can ask for it, I, I like to always take what they're giving me. So for example, if they're coming in and they're like a baseball player, I'll take that whole entire baseball background and utilize that to ask questions regarding what's going on inside their body, help reframe and relate it to them. Um, But some of the big ones are, what do you think that this pain means to you? What is it telling you? Because now you're getting some insight into what the story is that they're telling themselves about it the other part is uh another great question is how do you feel how would you feel if i could take your all your pain away right now 
like with the wave of magic wand and just take it away. Cause that gives you an idea of what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve if they weren't in pain, like what would make them feel really good about it. And that's where I try to get them to focus. Then it's like, what, well, what can we focus on? That's a positive that's something to look forward to instead of constantly focusing on the negative and the potentially harmful side effects of the pain. Those good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm relating it in my head. I'm relating it to, yeah. you know, my work. And when it comes to men with emotional pain, when it comes to a breakup, mm. it's like, all they do is think about the breakup and think about the pain of it and right. how, how it feels right now. And then when I ask them, what can you get excited about for in your life right now? Like moving forward, mm-hmm. they're like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just don't know because it's like all the intention is on the pain. I mean, all the focus is on the pain yeah. and it's, yeah. Yeah, they don't understand it. They just kind of dwell and and build up what's already there instead of like trying to understand. Right, versus shifting the focus, right? How can we shift the focus away from it? And I do um, a much better job of that with movement, like taking them into patterns that they didn't think that were possible. And all of a sudden we go back to a, a movement pattern that was previously painful and it's changed. Like it's no longer painful because you provide a different stimulus into the system that the nervous system liked. Uh, same thing with the brain when you're asking questions, you're shifting the focus to something new, something novel that they haven't been perseverating on. And with that, the brain can then calm down those threat responses, right? Because it's not so focused on the pain. When you're focused on the pain, guess, what, guess what's gonna heighten? The pain, that's all you're focused on, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah when you focus <laughs> on, you get more of. I always say that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what, like when it comes to, um, like, what about when it comes, cause in our previous conversation, you mentioned trauma, right. And like asking people questions to get through, cause I'm, I'm sure like to a certain extent, we all have trauma, right. From our past. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes, I mean, you tell me like, how is trauma, uh, held in the physical body? And does that mm-hmm. like, does that always manifest as physical pain? Like when you're holding in trauma? Well, here's, here's the interesting part is um, based on a lot of literature and the research that we have now, 80 to 90%, depending on the pain presentation, is not physical in nature. <laughs> Meaning that it is psychological, emotional. And you, you brought up trauma and, whole, and where you hold it. And we, we see these as holding patterns, so to speak. And these patterns are essentially compensation patterns. That's what I think of them as in a way. And uh, compensations in and of themselves aren't necessarily like the evil boogeyman. They're just how your brain is choosing to move your body through your environment in this moment. Okay. So the way that I like to explain this is we all experience trauma. Trauma is always going to be a part of our lives at some point. And it can be physical. It can be emotional, psychological, spiritual, sexual. It, it, It doesn't matter all that trauma is still perceived in the brain, the body in the same way. That stress, okay? That stress response then leads to dysfunction. Now, this dysfunction is usually necessary in the beginning, right? So I can give this uh, an example from two different realms here. Number one being the physical realm, which, you know, you experience an ankle sprain. Your body's naturally going to shift weight over. If you sprain the left side, it's going to shift it over to the right side so you can offload it and allow some time to heal temporarily. We want that to occur. So you don't like actually do something really terrible and like break a leg or something (laughs) because of lack of stability. However, when that movement pattern, that dysfunction sticks around because we never learn to 
put weight back on the side. We don't trust that left side again. That's where it turns into compensation patterns. Or then we start to see this domino effect upstream where it starts to change the way that the knee and the hip and the low back and the opposite side shoulder and the neck are also experiencing the load of gravity, okay, from a biomechanical standpoint. And, but there's always a neurological source to that too, which is coming to that threat response into the brain again. Now from like the other side of trauma, you think about something like um, PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder or sexual trauma from a childhood experience, a lot of that dysfunction is manifested in repressing memories, right? So we repress those memories, we've shoved them all down because that is what you needed to do in that moment to survive, <laughs> right? The brain decided that we need to compartmentalize that and take it away so that we can move on with the rest of our life. The, the, and so we don't experience all that pain and discomfort forever. And that was necessary in the moment. However, when it stays for a long time and it persists and we keep repressing these feelings and these memories, that's where it turns into those compensations and the stress just builds. And you see this manifest in all ways. I mean, it, it's a hodgepodge of, of different presentations, everything from depression to anxiety to um, performance anxiety when it comes to sex and suicide. And it's, there's there's run the gamut with it. There's so many different um, physical manifestations, presentations of it but it all comes down to the source of the fact that we've been repressing this trauma, allowing it to turn into these compensation patterns that we never really addressed. Now, from a physical standpoint, those compensation patterns then lead to accelerated tissue stress in similar, in the, and very, um, in the same types of tissues over and over and over again, the same ligaments, bone structures, joints, muscles, which then will cause the body to do only one of two things. We either cause so much stress that we hurt ourselves. So injury, and this usually happens in men more than women, because us men, we have egos, big, big egos, and we will put our heads through a wall despite our body. I have done it many, many times. And then the other option that we have are creating new compensation patterns to offset the old ones. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, you're a female. Females are way smarter than us males <laughs> from an intuitive standpoint, most of the time. And you sense, oh, there's something going on in my body. So we're just going to create a new way of moving around that to offset the old compensation patterns. But the problem is you keep going around and around and around that vicious cycle because you never address the original trauma and dysfunction to begin with. So that, that's the source. That's the root that we need to start to uncover. So from a, a, a physicality standpoint, I do that through movement assessments and figuring out where the, the holes are. Uh, limiting factors in their in, uh, in their movement pattern where the holes are in their movement literacy. And then from a psychological perspective, that comes through a lot of question and answering, right? Uh, in right heel back, the layers of that onion. And the only way that that occurs though, Stephanie, is by trust, right? So creating that safe container, that safe coaching container where they, they trust me enough because they feel that I'm present. They feel the safety. They feel the security. I'm listening to them, asking the right questions. And then in that container is where all of this physical, psychological, emotional transformation can then occur. Mm. That's so cool that like you can do like a moving yeah. assessment and see where they're compensating and then start asking questions mm -hmm. to open them up emotionally so that they release and yes. eventually trust you and release their trauma. And then the pain physically disappears. Physically disappears. And it, it comes down to those holding patterns. Like a lot of men will hold their, their pain, their trauma in their low back and their hip in their pelvic floor. 
as well. That's a big, big one. So you see like a lot of men have such bad hips and shoulders. I always have shoulder pain and hip and back pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially like when it's one-sided as well. That's where we start to see uh, the pelvic floor involvement. And there's, and we could start to talk about like the interesting uh, dichotomy between the, the masculine, and the feminine, and the masculine being on the right side versus the left side. I haven't correlated a lot of research with that yet. Um, but from a presentation standpoint, yeah, a lot of men do hold a lot of that, that pain in their pelvic floor, which then affects hip mobility and, and low back pain and everything as well. Um, it's just most men don't want to talk about it. Yeah. because we're not brought up that way, right? No guys in the locker room saying, hey, bro, how's your cock and balls doing today, <laughs> right? We don't, we don't ask those questions. Or if we are experiencing, yeah. we don't ask another teammate of ours, like, hey, you ever experienced the same thing? And it's freaking crazy because 70%- guys have, actually, guys have actual pain in their cock and balls? Pain, pain. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. So- 50%, this is crazy. So 50% of men will experience pelvic pain in their lives. That's half our male population. 70%, 70% experience pain with ejaculation. Oh my God. Seven zero, seven zero. That is two thirds roughly of the population, male population experiences pain with ejaculation and nobody's fucking talking about it. But why? Because how are, how are men supposed to be perceived? Stoic, macho, strong. We don't want to bring attention down to our manhood, right? <laughs> this, is, this is literally our manhood that we're talking about. And we become very, very defensive over it. So we never seek help. We just keep pushing it down and repressing. And that starts from an early, early age with how, oh, it's just, it's crazy of like how taboo and social norms play into this whole entire thing. It's wild absolutely wild. And I'll tell you a quick little example of this because I, nine out of 10 men that I work with from a hip immobility, hip pain, low back pain standpoint, always comes down to the source of sex and how they're performing in the bedroom. And if they feel open enough to allow me to explore that with them, we make some amazing progress with it because it starts to one, take a lot of the stress away from the standpoint of, Hey, this is normal for a lot of people, or sorry, it's common for a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily make it normal, but Hey, other people are, other men are experiencing this, but then two opens up the window for me then to talk about the breath and the pelvic floor and how we can utilize that for relaxation and start to really train for lack of a better term. Men like, you know, training is a, is a word that they resonate with how we can train the pain away by working on that pelvic floor itself. And also from a sexual performance standpoint, this is how we can now help you last longer in bed. This is how we can improve your erections, how we can improve your sex drive and your libido is all through pelvic floor and, and um, diaphragm work inside the body. So wow. it's just, you gotta kind of get, get the nudge in there. And then once that door is open, we can make so much progress. Wow, that's so crazy. And I did hear, I had someone on the podcast like maybe even two years ago talking about penis breathing. I think our cock breathing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cock yeah. breathing is how she worded it. And I thought that was so, that was so interesting. But like, are you saying that, you know, when guys, 70% of guys have pain uh, when it comes to ejaculation and, and I, I mean, I guess more like have pelvic floor hip issues, right? More than 70%, mm -hmm. I assume. Mm -hmm. um, is that, would you say like that's stemming from sexual trauma or sexual anxiety? Like, is that where it, 
the pain comes from is like the emotional I, aspect of it? Yes, it, definitely the emotional aspect because I'm going to paint a picture for you. I wouldn't necessarily say it's majority trauma. I think that, yes, men, little boys do experience sexual trauma. We know that that happens. Um, but it's more from a conditioning standpoint and a mental model around sex, around pleasure, around ejaculation, uh, because our pelvic floor controls not only our pee and our poo, like it holds that in for us. We don't wet the bed or, you know, we're doing a squat and all of a sudden, oh, there's an emoji on the floor. Um, <laughs> but it also, for, for men, it, it controls uh, the sphincter in and around the urethra, which controls ejaculation, right? So the pelvic floor is intimately related to it. But if you think about how most boys are raised, especially from a, like a religious standpoint, I'm going to speak from my experience. I was raised in a deeply Catholic household. I was an altar boy for 11 years. And there's so much shame and guilt surrounding masturbation and the urges that you experience as a young boy. And I mean, I know from my own personal experience that with all that shame and guilt, like you still had those urges. So what would I do? I would run upstairs and hide in the closet and rub one off real quick before mom and dad found me. What else are we going to do, right? That, that's what a lot of boys are doing or they're in the shower doing it. You know, they're trying to hide it. And then all of a sudden we're telling our nervous system, we're telling our brain to come quickly in relation to pleasure. So we're now training ourselves to ejaculate very quickly in the essence of fear because we're afraid of being caught. We're afraid of being found out. So then you think about how that plays out in adulthood. Now these young boys, you know, 10 to 12, 13, 14 years old are starting to have their first sexual encounters with a partner. And now all of a sudden there's this performance anxiety component of it of like they can't last long right? They can't control their ejaculation. This is where you see the premature ejaculation stuff comes up. The erectile dysfunction stuff comes up very, very predominantly is because we've trained it from such an early age. And it's crazy. It's like, even for adults in this country, here's another staggering statistic for you. Uh, we found out that the average time a man can last in bed in this country is three minutes. Three. That's not fun for anybody. And they measured that from kissing and foreplay to ejaculation because we've trained it from such an early age. And then guess where men get most of their sexual education from? Porn, right? Oh my God. One, it's not realistic. Two, it's overstimulatory, right? So now they're masturbating to an overly stimulated nervous system, which then just perpetuates a cycle of like coming really quickly because it gets you so fucking excited. Most of them aren't breathing. They're not using their diaphragm. They're not breathing into their pelvic floor. So now the pelvic floor essentially becomes super tight. Like the fibers of the pelvic floor become tight. They become shortened. And when it does that, it's constantly constricting the, the, the urethra inside the penis to push all the ejaculate out. They can't handle the energy. Uh-huh. It's an energy thing, right? So the energy is only going to go one of two ways. It's either going to go out your cock, which is what most people experience, right? Or you can learn to circulate it throughout your body, which is what I help men do um, from an ejaculatory control standpoint is how can we now take the energy that's building up in your sex center and circulate it throughout your body to one, you know, the experience an orgasm like you've never experienced before, like a full body. Men can do it too. Men are multi-orgasmic, can experience an orgasm throughout your body, but then two, you can last as long as you want. You're in control. You don't have to ejaculate. Think about how empowering that is for mm-hmm. the male, right? To be able to have that control, to be able to tell your cock when it wants to come. And not to mention now from an energy standpoint, instead of releasing all that energy out into the, well, tissue, 
towel stomach of somebody <laughs> into the towel oh face i mean oh so it's wild i can't tell you like how many how many guys come to me and they're like my girlfriend won't let me come on her face like what what do you want to do this do you want to do that why do you want to do that <laughs> <laughs> it's a think it's a it's a porn thing right we yeah. see that we see that we yeah. think that's normal life uh, uh anyway and whatever teach their own uh <laughs> i completely just derailed myself there now <laughs> we both got images from going on. Standpoint, <laughs> yeah from an energetic standpoint though now think about using that energy that you cultivate during your sexual counter or during your self-pleasure session and now you could utilize that for creativity throughout the day Right now you have all that energy stored within you versus letting it go and releasing it. Cause I can guarantee you any guy that's listening to this right now can relate to the fact that when they ejaculate, they come, all you want to do is take a fucking nap. Yeah. It depletes you. It depletes you. Um, so so what do you I heard this term called population <laughs> pudding. <laughs> that was great. What'd you say? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We don't, we don't need to, we don't need to go down that route. Go okay. ahead. Ask a different question. <laughs> There are a few rabbit holes we could go down right now. Okay. Um, uh, what What would you say about guys uh, ejaculating before bed? Like when they just want, they come home, you know, they have a full day, had a full day of work. They just want to relax, you know, jerk off and pass out. Is Would you say that is a healthy way of using that? Like just since they're getting rid of all their energy anyway, and they're trying to fall asleep because I have guys who are like, who definitely find um, ejaculation to be beneficial to them. And then other guys are like really trying to fight it hard. But I think more of the guys that are trying to fight it is knowing that it's messing up their day and, you know, getting depleting their energy. So like, are there yeah. time, is there time to place? Yes. There's always, always a great area. What I would come down to though, is I would ask the question, why do you feel like you need to release all this energy? Like, is there another avenue, another route that you can take to release it? Um, why do you feel like it needs to go through your cock, right? That, that's question number one. Uh, but the other component of it, yeah, like from a health standpoint, uh, getting the, the prostate to move and, and, and ejaculate uh, fluid is a great way to, to keep everything down there healthy as well. Um, because if we get congested, I'll think about like holding back too much, it will, it can increase your rates for prostate cancer, uh, and everything like that. So like sex and ejaculation is really important. You need to be able to move everything, but then also from an energetic standpoint, like, can you move that energy throughout your body instead of it having to release through your cock? Right. Cause I mean, there are, there are men that I know that go years without ejaculating. And then all of a sudden, you know, they want to impregnate their wife or their girlfriend and then, then they'll ejaculate. They're choosing to, um, I, I think that from the question that you asked about coming home and ejaculating and wanting to jerk off, like, I think there's a difference between masturbating and jerking off. I put those two words in the same type of silo versus self-pleasure, right? So how can we then take that need, right? Ask the question, like, do we really need it? And if we don't, don't do it, find another avenue. But then option B is, okay, if we do want to, go down the, <laughs> the self-pleasure route, how can we then utilize that to move the energy? Because I think self-pleasure is a great way to move the energy, but it doesn't mean that you need to ejaculate. You can get the same movement, the same feeling of relaxation 
by self-pleasuring and, and using that to learn about your body, to practice your breathing techniques, to learn how to relax the pelvic floor and not have to take this point of finishing every single time. Like, can you self-pleasure without porn as well? Or is that a crutch for you? Do you need to be visually stimulated or can you stimulate yourself versus like what you're feeling, what you're thinking inside your brain with like exploring your body. Like there's so many erogenous zones in men too, other than just the tip of our penis. Um, but we never explore them. Right. So we can't ever spread it out. And that's where I start to, to teach men about breathing is because with that pelvic floor being so contracted and so shortened, the pelvic floor needs to be able to go through an excursion. So if you think of like a trampoline, if you jump on a trampoline, it lowers to the earth and then it'll explode back up. Like you need, your pelvic floor needs to be able to do that. So the pelvic floor, when you inhale, will descend and it'll move down towards the ground if you're sitting, right? And when you exhale, it'll ascend. And that works in conjunction with your breathing diaphragm. When you inhale, the diaphragm underneath your ribs will descend. And when you exhale, it will ascend. And actually same thing with your feet as well. Your arches and your feet are diaphragms. When you inhale, they should flatten out. And when you exhale, they should come up. So we have all these systems inside of our body. There's also one underneath the, the jaw here too. All the muscles that create a sling underneath your palate and the tongue are also part of that. So when you inhale, they come down, when you exhale, they come up. And we start to use that now as a training experience to be able to move through those excursions with the pelvic floor and get the circulation and the relaxation that is just so desperately desired by our body. And now you move into a sexual experience. And like I, I bring this back to to working out in the gym all the time. Like you can never expect to go back squat 405 pounds without ever done some reps first. You shouldn't expect to go into the bedroom and last an hour, satisfy your partner and yourself if you haven't practiced it first. So practicing with yourself is a great way to start. And you know, women, and this is where guys get really frustrated is that on average, it takes the female body 45 minutes to drop in typically, right? To experience an, an orgasm that's not clitoral related in any way. Uh, so be able to be able to drop in and actually feel full body pleasure and relaxation and openness um, and surrender. It takes that long, but we always just go right to the to the drive right in type of scenario instead of learning to stay present with your partner and breathe together and focus on each other instead of the the act of pleasuring her right or satisfying her because if you're thinking about that that in and of itself will cause a lot of that performance anxiety. And then guess what? You go and you ejaculate and all those pelvic floor muscles constrict. And if you already have pain, hip pain, low back pain, it's going to exacerbate it there. And that's why 70% of men do still experience it with ejaculation. I hope that came full circle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it did. That's so interesting. Can you teach us a certain breathing technique to help guys be in more control of their cock? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's so many different positions you can do this into. No, I love this. I love this. This is, uh, this is one of my passion projects. And actually I'll tell a quick story before I do this. Cause it's kind of related. Um, my girlfriend, my partner and I, she's a sex and relationship coach and we taught a course together down on Oahu in Hawaii back in 2019. And we had, um, <laughs> it was actually titled how's your, how's your sex life. So she brought it from the spirituality, sexuality side of things. And I brought it from the actual physical components of how can we can train this to improve your sex life with breathing in the pelvic floor, um, training exercise and everything like that. And I was about to go into this breathing exercise that I'm going to, I'm going to teach the listeners next here. And I had everybody lay down on their back, feet, feet flat on the floor, knees bent. 
you know, hand on the heart, hand on the belly. And mind you, there was a very um, dichotomous group of people down there. There was like this very much yogi spiritual group that was totally into it, willing to share, ready to go. And then there was this like strength training kind of CrossFit group that were there and they were curious, but they were kind of hesitant in sharing. So I was trying to bridge the gap and bring them together and break the ice. So I had everybody laying down their back and just to give you this visual representation, you know, knees, knees bent, feet flat and floor, hand on the heart, hand on the belly, eyes closed, everybody's relaxed. And then I ask a question. And the question is, is how many of you have ever experienced a bad anal experience, right? <laughs> and Kendall, Kendall looks at me, she's like, did you just fucking ask that question? I'm like, mm-hmm, sure did. And sure enough, <laughs> you bond see, like, all the hands, got a bond everybody, you see the hands like start to creep up. And the reason why I ask that is because, yeah, it's, it's common, right? People, but they also relate to it from the standpoint of um, there's this thing called the, the law of the sphincter and it essentially connects the, the larynx, the esophagus, sorry, the larynx, the trachea here in the throat, which is air, breath, movement, and sound with heavy breathing. So the diaphragm underneath the ribs, the pelvic floor as well. And um, they related this to, if you think about childbirth, during childbirth, there's a lot of heavy breathing, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. It's very guttural. It's very visceral. It's very natural. Everything is opening, <laughs> right? There's a lot of dilation occurring. Sex is the same way, 100% the same way. Coming back to the, the, the male standpoint, many men, once again, they watch porn and they hear the woman making all the sounds and the guy is kind of silent. Men could be very loud and boisterous as well. I'm screaming like fucking Tarzan in the bedroom. And it's because it opens up everything. Sorry for that visualization. Um, <laughs> kind of looks like Tarzan. <laughs> I can see it. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll go with more of the Thor look. But yeah, we could okay, have Tarzan. Thor, yeah. Why not? Actually uh, swing a big hammer. Uh, anyway. Oh, Jesus. That went there. Um, so <laughs> making... Uh, cheers. Coffee sip for now, that one. Uh, but anyway, so when you open up the throat, open up the airways, yelling, screaming it allows all the other sphincters and everything to open up as well. So uh, from the, the pelvic region standpoint for a woman, opens up the cervix, opens up the, the vaginal cavity, everything is relaxed, which is the key with women and sex is we want you all to be relaxed and surrender, right? And so that's from a female standpoint. The more the person usually is, the more relaxed they are sexually. Right, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, so if you get all those connected in and of yourself, but then you connect them with your partner, that's where all the beautiful magic happens, essentially. And like from a female standpoint, a lot of females that have pain with sex is because they're so fucking anal retentive, <laughs> for lack of a better term, but they're, they're, they're tight and constricted because they don't feel safe and they don't feel secure and they're not open. Like if, if your partner's not breathing and making sounds, that's a real good sign that you need to kind of back off, maybe a little more here and there to help them feel more relaxed as well. Um, so anyway, back to the breathing exercise now is I had them all lay down on their back. And one of the ways that we can start doing this for men is I like to provide tactile cues, tactile um, sensations first. So you can actually feel what's going on. So for men, if you place your finger uh, between the base of your penis and your testicles and your anus, it's Many people call it many different things. It's your perineum from a technical term, but, you know, taint, grundle, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I've heard all kinds of stuff. Uh, 
put your finger there and you take a big breath in, you should feel that bulge out slightly into your finger. That will tell you that your pelvic floor is actually relaxing and expanding. And then when you exhale, you should feel it constrict and contract and lift off your finger. Also, from the standpoint, um, you should feel like your, your, your testicles should rise as well. So think like nuts to guts. And then your penis should kind of flick a little bit. I'm making all these hand gestures right now. I don't know if you use video, but it's very entertaining for me. Um, so it should flick a little bit. And that's a good sign that you're getting the pelvic floor to contract and lift everything. Okay. So now we're going to take that into the breath. So we know that inhalation, pelvic floor expands, exhalation, pelvic floor lifts. To contract the pelvic floor and lift, I'd have them think about lifting nuts to guts and squeezing your butthole. Now, there's one mistake that most people make with this. <laughs> they try to turn it into a power move, and you see them crunch their abdominals, the glutes fire, they lift their, their hips up off the ground. And my joke every single time is like, you guys, your balls are not that big. Promise you. <laughs> okay. So it's very subtle to the point where if you're doing it correctly, nobody should know, <laughs> which makes training it very easy. And I'll go into kind of how you build this in throughout your day in just a little bit. But Laying flat in your back. We now know what the pelvic floor is supposed to be doing. We have our finger there. Maybe if we want to keep it there to, to feel what's going on. Next thing we do is take a big breath in. And I have you think about the breath moving down the front of your body. So think about expanding out the entire rib cage, filling up the belly and filling up the pelvic floor. Your, your diaphragm, your trunk is three-dimensional. It's like a giant canister. It should expand front to back, side to side, and diagonally. And also should push down into the pelvic floor. And that's where you'll feel it expand. You'll feel it push out into your finger if your finger's still down there. With the exhale, we're going to think about the breath moving up the spine and to the crown of the head, out the crown of the head. With the exhale is when we're getting our contraction of the pelvic floor, so nuts to guts, squeezing the butthole. So if you picture this, it's circular in nature, right? The air moving down the front of your body into the pelvic floor, up your coccyx, up your sacrum, your spine, out the top of the head. This is what should be occurring during sex. This is how you circulate the energy during sex. This is then how you circulate the energy during your self-pleasure practices as well. Because you're now breathing into your cock. You're taking that energy and you're moving it up your spine. It is energetically happening. I could tell you from a fascial standpoint, because the fascia in your body is like a Wi-Fi network and it will actually move that energy. But then also visually, that's what I have them thinking of. And that's what will circulate that energy throughout the rest of your body. And what you'll experience if you're doing this with um, a self-pleasure practice is you should actually feel your cock kind of soften a little bit and maybe like lose a little bit of the erection. And that's a good thing. That's a good sign. Like you're not gonna go totally flaccid, okay? So usually if you have trouble breathing in, all right, that's usually um, associated with like not being able to get hard, like a, that kind of like poor erectile quality standpoint. If you're a bad exhaler, it's usually coming down to the fact that you're really a premature ejaculator. So you can kind of associate it. So if you have, have trouble getting hard, low libido, usually bad at inhaling. If you are having premature ejaculation issues, usually terrible exhaler. So this is where you can start to practice then because the exhale should be longer than your inhale. So any inhale that you take in, exhale, think about making it twice as long. So if you inhale for five seconds, exhale is 10 seconds. And this is something that you can really start to train and then practice and measure <laughs> as you move forward. Now, I mentioned that I like getting people flat on the back because it's a very safe, secure position to be in. You can feel what's going on. You can get comfortable with how the breath pattern is, but then you can do this in a seated position. And one of the, <laughs> the positions and postures like to take guys next actually sitting on a toilet because we get to utilize gravity, folks. 
and gravity will pull down on your testicles as they're hanging into the toilet there. <laughs> so now you could actually feel them lift. Oh, wow. Right? You can work against some type of resistance. Um, so that's the other position. But then the final one is standing. And that's my favorite one to, to work on because now we can actually integrate the feet as well. All right. So remember, we talked about the feet having a diaphragm should yeah. flatten out with an inhale with an exhale. When I'm out with uh, my Olympic teams all over the world, and we're leaving for Tokyo here in July, so I get to practice this for three weeks standing on these, these training fields, is I'm standing there watching my athletes and coaching, and I'm breathing. I'm practicing breathing down into my pelvic floor, exhaling up my spine, out the crown of my head. And with each exhale, I'm contracting the pelvic floor, I'm lifting it, and no, I'm not squeezing and humping the air. Okay, that would be very weird out on an Olympic stage. They can see some weird USA PT out there, kind of like dry hump in the air. That's not, <laughs> that's not cool. That's not great for publicity. Uh, but then also with each inhale, sorry, I know, you know, I'm weird. Sorry. <laughs> with each inhale, I'm allowing my feet to flatten down to the earth. And with each exhale, I'm, letting, I'm pushing down to my big toe and lifting the arches. So now I'm starting to coordinate all of these diaphragms together so that when I go to A, have sex, I've trained it, but then B from a movement standpoint, it's also going to relax your hips. It's going to open up the hips. So we're going to have less mobility issues and the act of contracting the pelvic floor actually moves your L4, L5, L5S1. So as your, your lowest two lumbar vertebrates that come into the sacrum, and that's also the point of your center of mass, center of gravity. And it is also the most common side of low back pain. So if you start getting movement through there, you get this tilting of the pelvis, it'll help relieve the low back pain as well. So improves your sex life and makes you a better human mover and athlete as well. I can't think of anything better to train each day. <laughs> wow. So what do you recommend guys do in as far as how often they do this and what, what amount of time should they start? Cause you said to like test and measure it. So like when it comes to them yep. just starting out, maybe like how many times a day and then how, what's the count, the breath count they should start at. <laughs> well, I guess it depends how much free time you have throughout the day. Um, I, I think it first comes today. down to make, yeah, yeah, more is better, right? Dude, there are some people that I know that were like masturbating and ejaculating six to eight times a day. I'm like, oh do you work? How do you, do, you do, do anything, anything other than jack off? <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think it first comes down, <laughs> that makes sense. Maybe, maybe like you just fucking numb yourself at that point. Good Lord. Yeah. I can't even be pleasurable at all. Um, oh man, cause I'm not going to get into, into, I have a story there, but I'm going to let one go. Uh, so anyway, to answer your question from, uh, the first thing we need to say is we have to make it a priority. Okay. Because I, I hear our excuses all the time and I don't have time for this. Well, excuses are bullshit. You're just not making it a priority right now, which is fine. Okay. But let's acknowledge that fact. And then when you can make it a priority, then we can start to attack this thing. Um, so for me personally, every single morning. I do this every single morning. It is part of my morning routine. I get up, I meditate, I journal, and I go through my breathing practice. Right. That is, that never changes. And that's the first hour of every single morning. Now from a time constraint standpoint, something is better than nothing. Okay. And what I like to do is have people start with a five minute timer. So just put a timer on your phone for five minutes. Lay down your back, sit, stand, whoever you want to do it, and just keep breathing. Go through as many breath cycles as you can within that five-minute window. And that's a great place to start. And then just start tacking on a minute every couple of weeks if you want to. Now, I've never done like a full 
30 minute breathing session. I've done breath work stuff before, but more of like the hyperventilatory Wim Hof style of stuff for like hours. Um, but from the standpoint of retraining the nervous system with the pelvic floor, it, it really doesn't take that long. It's more of a frequency factor that comes into play. So I always make sure I hit it in the morning. I get my five to 10 minutes of it, but then throughout the day, I'm standing here right now talking to you doing a podcast. And what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> in between, between all my stories. Yeah. And, and listen, I, like you could, you could actually stand and if the breathing stuff is a problem because you're talking like we're doing now, you could still contract your pelvic floor. Yeah. Right. Like so eagle, when it comes right? to exactly like, what you mean? like, kind of like a meagle, it's a meagle for men. Right. So, oh, um, yeah, it's like a meagle. So from a, like a contraction relaxation standpoint, the contraction, the endurance, your pelvic floor is an endurance muscle, right? Um, from an endurance standpoint, if you can hold it for a long time, that's how you can gain better control from the ejaculatory standpoint when you're in bed, because everything is such high energy. So if you have a stronger contraction, you'll, you'll have a better chance at stopping that ejaculation from occurring. Okay. Now, if you're already, if your pelvic floor is already too tight and you try and contract it, it's not going to go anywhere. All right. And the way that you know that is if you try, if you relax your pelvic floor and you don't feel like your testicles descend or something, or something push out into your finger, your pelvic floor is too tight. Right. You need to focus more on the breathing, the inhalation standpoint as well. But like I will stand there, contract, try and lift the pelvic floor and go for like a max hold. But then I also have the other end of the spectrum. I know that I can get my pelvic floor to relax and descend back down to the earth. So that's when that becomes important. All right. So the more you can get in throughout the day, the better. The cool part about the breathing stuff though, is everybody can find five minutes somewhere throughout the day, like in between clients, in between these podcasts and stuff that I'm doing, I will sit down and just breathe for five minutes because yes, it's great for retraining the pelvic floor, but from a nervous system standpoint, it also helps kind of calm things down for you, right? It'll help put you into more of that parasympathetic rest and digest state and take you out of that sympathetic drive. Cause that sympathetic drive, that stress is a fucking killer of boners, killer of boners from all standpoints, right? The stress component, like if you, if you're constantly watching TV, it's very stimulating constantly on your phone, very stimulating your work ethic. It's something you do for a living, very stimulating out in the gym, sympathetic as well. And guess what sex is? Sex is very sympathetically driven as well, <laughs> oh, wow. right? So it's a very sympathetic uh, nervous system energy. And that kind of makes people double think a little bit with that one uh, because, well, it's like you tell me you don't want to be sympathetic drive, but then sex is sympathetic. Well, you have to be able to be in the parasympathetic rest and relaxation to make the sympathetic act of sex more effective. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right? You have to be able to balance it out. All right. So that's where the breathing comes into, into handy. Yeah. Wow. And then, like, there. yeah. And this is something I hear a lot of guys. Um, do you have time for one more question? I'm going to respect. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you have time for another hour? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we could do um, more of these. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This is good. Cause I know there's so many guys struggling with porn and like, that's not something I often talk about. Cause this isn't my, my yeah. thing. Like I don't study this stuff. So it's great to have you here. But like when it comes to guys, um, who just feel so stressed, like they have that, that stress where they're like, I have to jerk off to like release my stress. I don't know. Like, what do you tell those guys where it's, I love the question. Like, why do you have to jerk off? Like, why does it have to come through your penis? Like relieving that stress? Um, that's such a great question. 
can guys trust that they'll have the same type of relief through breathing as they will through ejaculation? Like, will it be like, how do you explain that? Yeah. And, uh, people probably aren't going to like this answer, but it's not a quick fix, right? It's not going to happen overnight. It's something that it takes a while to develop. Um, so you're not going to be able to go through a breathing practice one time and say, Oh, I'm good. Like I was able to release that energy. Your nervous system, it's nervous not system the doesn't work gratification like that. You would get from- it's not the instant gratification from the jerking off, which just goes back down to the whole entire uh, way we start this conversation is why are we so dependent on the instant gratification, right? Why we feel like we are so fucking stressed out that we need to jerk off and release it from our cock. I think that this just comes down to the, the standpoint of discipline and lifestyle change. Like, do you, do you truly want to make a change? Cause I'm not sitting up here in my RV tower saying, uh, that I wasn't the guy jacking off three times a day. Cause I fucking was right. <laughs> We've all been through that phase. And then, um, sorry, there's a truck driving by right now. Can you hear that? <laughs> I just heard that. Did it stop in front of your place? Okay. Sure did. Um, anyway, well, yeah, the wonders of life. Welcome to reality, folks. Um, but there was there was the point when you know I was I was actually going through a divorce, and um, I was I was doing a lot of introspection and reflection and figuring out areas where I wanted to make a change in my life, and this was one of them. This is where all my self development work started. And guess what? It never ends. There's never a, really a destination to this thing. It's about enjoying the process. Right? And learning to love the process and love the journey along the way. And I, I don't know if that like answers your question at all, because I don't think I can. I don't think I can answer that question as far as, you know, if you feel like you need to come back and jerk off, let's acknowledge that maybe, and maybe you do. And there shouldn't be any shame or judgment or guilt around it. But then where can we start to make some simple changes along our journey that now move us in a different direction? All right, because there's like, the energy does build up and it could become a lot. And if like you feel like you need to release it, you don't have any other means to in the moment, by all means, go ahead. All right. Don't, don't judge yourself for it. Give yourself some grace, but then also make it a point to start, you know, making some changes somewhere else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And just knowing, like knowing that it's possible to bring that energy back and circulate it through your body instead mm -hmm. of having to just release it. Like, and then ask yourself, what else could I use it for, right? Yeah. What are other, yeah, what other areas in my life can I direct this energy? Yeah, because it seems so powerful to just waste, you know, not waste, but just like, just give it up it's every, a superpower. Night, every night. You're just, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, damn, like that is like your manhood it's, and it's, to just like release it, it really every, is. you know? Mm -hmm. And there actually is some interesting research around the more that you ejaculate, the shorter your life expectancy. Because from, yeah, because from a, an evolutionary standpoint, um, you know, us as humans, we're animals, right? And our main purpose on this earth is to procreate, you know, one of them. <laughs> uh, so to your brain and to your body, the more that you ejaculate, it thinks that you're procreating a fuck ton. Because that was the only purpose for it back then. Your job's done. And <laughs> your job's done, right? Um, and if you think about it from like a life expectancy standpoint, it will shorten your, your lifespan because it's taken all that energy that could be used internally to grow and repair. And, uh, from a physicality standpoint, like there's 
some correlative research, research, not some causation research, there's some correlative research out there that shows that people who withhold ejaculation have better body composition, uh, they got better outlook on life, they're happier, they experience more joy, their relationships are stronger, and they live longer. So I'm a guy, like I said, I take a lot of risks, and even though I don't have any hard data on it, like, that sounds nice. I don't see any downside to that one, right? And it's only going to help any other area of my life versus being in this perpetual cycle of, man, that's got to feel like you're in a prison, right? Coming home and feeling like you need to jerk off every night. Yeah. Got to. That's got to be constraining. So yeah, I'd want to break those constraints somehow. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to, yeah, it goes back to what you were saying, how like, do you want to be in control of your cock or like, like you want to be, right? And it's like for the cock to be in control of you, it's like, what does that mean? Where does that leave you? Mm-hmm. I think like a lot of men, like just when I talk to guys, I think a lot of the unhappiness and disappointment with themselves always comes from lack of control where they just feel out of control. You know, they don't know what to say or what to do and like yeah. how to go about it. And it's just, that drives them insane. And I think this is such a powerful way to regain control is to regain control. Of self- yeah. To, to me, I hear of it being like a self-worth, self-love, self-value yeah. um, type of an issue right? And there are ways to gain more control. And, and this is one of them. And when you gain more control, you become more confident. And guess what? If you're single, what do, what do you think women really enjoy? It's the confidence piece. And that energy, it is strong when you have it. We call it BDE. You know what BDE is? No. Big, oh wait, big, big, big dick energy. Big dick energy, right? And it's not like you actually have to I'm have so proud a, I need that. a horse cock. <laughs> But <laughs> Wait, you, you don't actually need to have a, a large, you don't need to have a giant horse cock. You don't need to have a large appendage. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It'd be a tripod. Great if you do, congratulations. Um, but it, it's an energy, right? Do you have the BD? Do you have the big, big energy that you're putting out there into the world, right? The confidence piece that we're talking about. It's like if you're out at the bar, you're out at the gym, or wherever you're trying to find your partner, your mate, that is palpable. People pick, women pick up on that, men pick up on that, depending on the polarity. And that is attractive as all hell. That's sexy as all hell when you're confident like that. And knowing that you can go into a sexual encounter and have control over your cock, fuck that's empowering and and that boosts confidence, right? And then your partner is going to feel that. And it's going to help her surrender because you're not so fucking high strung on yourself and getting in your own head of trying to figure out how you're going to do things, why she's reacting the way she is so let's slow down let's fucking breathe a little bit right <laughs> you know it's interesting one of my favorite one of my favorite quotes um this is by victor frankel from a uh, man's search for meaning i actually really encourage any man to read that book it's a short one he was a psychologist during uh, nazi germany and uh he just he tells his story about how he survived and it came through his mindset right and um one of his lines in there is that between every stimulus and response, there's space, mm-hmm. right? And in that space is where we can change our decisions, right? So our goal is to be able to create as much space between that stimulus and that response. So in sexual encounter standpoint, the stimulus of like foreplay and kissing to the response to being ejaculation, like how much space can you create between that? to really enhance the pleasure that you're both experiencing, right? And that comes through breathing. It's the same type of analogy moves forward in with the pain stuff as well. And with movement, 
it's all translatable. It's all connected. Um, so learning how to breathe and control and gain more confidence in yourself is going to help you slow things down a little bit and be able to make a better decision in the moment. Now, I'm not saying that some you know hard, heavy, fast sex, quickie time is inappropriate because I, I love that kind of sex too. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a different energy. It's a different energy for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's all this good intention around It's it. all good. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. intention. Thank you. That's what it comes down to. Thank you, Stephanie. It comes down to the intention behind what you're setting out to. And I can't tell you how many times we've set timers and we schedule sex. People look at that and they're like, why do you, you, why do you schedule that stuff? Because we're both very busy individuals and we are making it a priority. And just because we have it on the calendar doesn't make it any less valuable or worthy. And by the way, when you know you're going to be going into that, think about how that like entices things. Like you're, you're stimulating each other, you're teasing, you're playing with each mm-hmm. other. And then it makes that experience that much more enjoyable as well. Mm-hmm. Before a play starts long ahead. Yeah, it starts throughout, long, throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a great one for women too, because I think, you know, women need a lot more. You were saying it takes women 45 minutes, right? To get into, yes, and that includes the foreplay, in. mm-hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so guys, let's, let's play a little bit, explore the bodies. Um, Cause where as guys, you know, we, we go right to our cock women um, go from the outside in, right? So it's more of exploring other areas like wrists, nipples, shoulders, ass cheeks, ankles, feet, whatever. And then starting to work your way towards the pussy or work your way towards the anus or wherever you're going and um, taking your time, taking your time and tantalizing and teasing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the more in control you are over your cock, the more you're able to do that. And you're confident with it, right? And you're able yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would make sense. Without blowing your load, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> While you're like touching her ass cheeks. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I go back to that, that that American Pie movie when he's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. slowly <laughs> taking his hand down her stomach. It's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Did it again? <laughs> oh. That's awesome. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for your time oh, yeah, and yeah, for your passion and your Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I love it. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, like I said, I'm really passionate about this stuff and to have the opportunity to speak about it uh, instead of just, like I said, talking about movement and feet and everything, it's, it's, it made my day. So thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, great. Love it. So much gratitude for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Gratitude right back. So if you can, I just want to leave, I'm going to end on this note. Uh, I want you guys, I want you to leave the guys um, just one point from this whole conversation that they need to remember walking away. Most important thing, they remember one thing. What would that one thing be? Uh, I'm going to steal this line from Wim Hof because I think it's, it's so appropriate here. And it's just breathe, motherfucker, breathe. Like that, that's it. it it's, it's, it's so, it's so much a keystone, right? To everything that we just talked about today, uh, as far as the confidence piece and the physical control and pain, it all comes down to the breath, right? And the breath is what we need to create that space between the stimulus and the response. So breathe, motherfucker, breathe. Love it. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>